Thank you for joining us for IEB There. And now your host, David Cohen. Over to you, David. All right, hello. We have made it another week, everyone. That's very exciting. Today is Friday, May 1st, and TGIF to all of us uh, out in the viewership. Um, I, my name is David Cohen. I'm the uh, president of the IAB, and I want to welcome you to IAB There, which is our daily live stream where we bring the advertising ecosystem uh, together to talk about uh, timely topics. The topic that we have for today is one that we have had a lot of conversations around uh, as of late, which is uh, supporting the news and protecting brand equity in the age of COVID-19. And we're calling that AKA the hidden cost of keyword blocking. I have two guests with me today and we will bring them into the stream now. We have Rich Radden, co-founder and co-CEO of Zephyr. And we have Jennifer Gardner, Senior Director of Media for North America at Unilever. So Rich and Jenny, thank you very much for being here. Uh, if anyone has any questions as we're going through the session today, please feel free to post them to Twitter at hashtag IABThere, all caps, no spaces, and we'll get to them uh, before we're done. So welcome, guys. Thank you for, uh, for being here, and welcome for another week that we've gotten under our belts. And uh, we've got a good topic here today. Before we get into the meat of the matter, uh, let's just talk about how we're faring in this kind of crazy world that we're living in. How are we uh, health-wise? How are we dealing? How are we dealing with fatigue? Just talk to me a little bit. Things all right? Yeah, we're great. We're My family, thankfully, is home and healthy, which is the name of the game right now. Um, we've been good about not getting on each other's nerves too much. There have been some moments, but for the most part, we're actually enjoying each other's company and trying to make the most of it. Yep, and you, Rich? Things are good. We're all healthy. Everyone at the company is health, healthy, thankfully. And I'm just really grateful for all the first responders and the people on the front lines. I'm also, I know we have a ton of publishers on the line today, and I just think it's, it's amazing the work that's being done to push out uh, information in this important age. I mean, that's what kind of gives us comfort, right? Accurate information, informative stuff. So I'm appreciative of all the efforts of all the membership uh, on yeah. the line. Yeah, totally. Uh, one, one of the things that we've been having a lot of conversations about uh, as of late, you know, in the beginning, it was kind of how are we preparing, how are we dealing with a lot of novelty around how we're working remotely, and now everyone's kind of settled into uh, more of a normal cadence, which I'm not sure if we'd call this normal, uh, and it's a lot more intense than uh, I would say it has been uh, in the past when you can get up and walk around, and you have things that are in between from meeting to meeting. Have you guys found any magic sauce uh, as you work with your teams that kind of allow people to take like a mental break, anything creative that you want to share? We've heard some really cool things, actually. Rich, anything? Go, ahead, Rick. Go for it. So, I, I, honestly, like, I think it kind of changes as each of the weeks start passing as well. Um, you know, in the beginning, we were really good about making sure we had video connects with our team on a frequent basis. And now sometimes we show up and some people don't want to be on video anymore. And that's okay. You know, we will razz each other a little bit about it, but we respect it. I think, you know, 
as things have settled into, people are much more comfortable about being open and honest about what their needs are. So, and we're also making sure that we're pushing and asking the questions of our team as well. Um, and our extended team at, at the agency at Mindshare, you know, making sure that people are dedicating some time, even if it's just to grab lunch or to stretch or to go for a walk when it's nice outside, or, you know, the, the other challenge is balancing, you know, people who have young children and, and children who need help with schoolwork. So allowing them to block calendars, you know, and then we also try to throw some fun in it. Like we have a WhatsApp group with our team and we just put funny things in. Some people have cut their own hair or their spouse's hair during this time. And we're All right. <laughs> you know, and another big fun part for us is, you know, just sharing silly TikToks with each other to just, you know, give some comic relief. And I thought we were unique in that. We just did that at the IB. We had um, everyone kind of submitted a little piece of them. So some kind of creativity. So it was like a family that had a lot of band members. They put together some songs. I did a TikTok, which was fairly innocuous. I didn't have to do a lot of moving. So that was actually pretty, uh, pretty good. We imitated a uh, an album cover. My, my kids say that that's actually quite um, quite popular. How about you, Rich? Anything that's uh, magical or creative that's happening in, with your team? Well, we're, as a technology shop, I'll tell you, things will never be the same again for us. We'll probably have a lot more flexibility from work from home um, because engineers can work anywhere remotely. And obviously we're all just a, a, a slack away from one another. Um, and so that's been really, really insightful, really interesting. On a personal front, I've kind of enjoyed wearing shorts for the last 50 days. I don't think I've put on a pair. It's either shorts or sweatpants. Uh, I'm not even sure I can actually fit into my pants anymore. But, uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of unhealthy activities that are going on. You're right. Yes, I'm exhausted. I mean, but these are the ways to get through it, connecting uh, repeatedly with team members over video. And I, I, I love Jenny's comments about like, if you don't want to turn on your video, don't turn on your video. Like it's, we, it seems like rule, new rules are arising every day, but um, we're going to get through this. Yeah, we sure will. Rich, let's stay on you for one half second. Let's talk about Zephyr. And for those of uh, us in the audience that might not know what it is that Zephyr does, give us the kind of the, the short elevator pitch. The really quick pitch is we're a contextual data platform and we work on behalf of brands, but only on the, right now, only on the uh, walled gardens. So YouTube and in-stream video for Facebook. And maybe some of the viewers are wondering like, well, why is this guy on the, this is about news and about content on the open web. But for the last four and a half years, we've been really engaged in how you, how you um, technically um, determine and get precision and granularity around contextual targeting. And we've had some incredible sort of discoveries and truths that have come out of this process. And I think it's highly applicable to what's happening right now in the ecosystem on the open web. So I just wanted to share a lot of what we've discovered because I think it will be empowering for publishers to understand, you know, we're hearing in market brands are using precise technology, yet we're seeing still a lot of ad blocking. Why is that? And so hopefully I can speak to that today. Yeah, we definitely will. We, we've been kind of uh, beating the drum on a campaign that we're calling News Saves Lives, which is a, kind of how we got here. Uh, which was an acknowledgement way back, you know, now two months ago, kind of news uh, consumption going through the roof, news never being more important, and brands, marketers, agencies avoiding the news because that's what they've done historically. Uh, and it was obviously important for us to support the news because obviously lives were in the balance. So we've yep. been on this uh, education um, uh, thematic, which I think is part of our session here today, to kind of talk about, you know, understanding context and sentiment is super important. And just kind of a broad stroke of kind of keyword blocking sometimes has unintended 
consequences. Uh, so why don't we just get into that? So you, you've done, uh, we had a great chat, Richard, I'd say it's like a week ago or so, although days kind of are somewhat blurry at the moment, but um, some of the challenges with keyword blocking around brand safety and brand suitability, can you share some of the stuff that you've learned? Sure. So I, I'm going to kind of deliver, I think, the tough news. There are definitely things that publishers can do. And I think Jenny has all the good news because they've been a really, really forward-facing brand in terms of striking relationships with premium publishers. But from a technology standpoint, I'm going to speak to that because um, that's where there's a disconnect right now in the marketplace. And I'll specifically speak to the technology providers. And it's good that the publishers are educated as to why this is all occurring. So at a very high level, we all know why keyword blocking doesn't work. Um, on the average blacklist, there's 1,800, 2,000 keywords. You know, you could say, oh, we're gonna take COVID-19 off of our blacklist. But by the way, I didn't even know that virus was on that blacklist. I didn't even know um, that death or illness was on that blacklist. And basically keyword technology just works on term frequency. A tech provider is scanning the page to see if these terms appear on the page. And why would virus ever appear next to sports content? That's an outlier. That must not be brand suitable or brand worthy. And then an ad doesn't show up. But what, what we've realized and, and what it's kind of a, a tough place right now is a lot of these companies that provide this solution are also going out to market with, hey, we have more nuanced or precise solutions. You know, they're using words like um, semantic technology. We have sentiment technology, all things that are more precise. The two takeaways we know after doing this for four and a half years around video, which is also true for web and banner, is that you need, the, the, you need two things built into your tech stack. The first thing you need to do is you need some way to talk to the brand or the agency to understand what they deem is important or how they classify content. And that's, by the way, there's been a ton of work around this by um, Jenny's um, associate, Luis Tacomo, and the World Federation of Advertisers saying like, look, platforms are not doing a good job. Like when we say sports content, we don't mean esports. And when we say health and wellness, we don't mean homeopathic. Like that granularity around how you define getting on the same page with the brand is really important. And most of those mechanisms don't, there's no mechanism to capture that nuance right now with a lot of these tech providers. The second thing, and much more important than that, is algorithms on their own can't detect nuance. Um, humans can. And um, what is imperative in order to get precision is you need actually data that comes from humans. You need, it's called supervised data. So you need humans to look at content and say, we've heard what the brand wants to be around. This meets the brand criteria. This doesn't meet the brand criteria. That has to be done in mass scale, thousands and tens of thousands of reviews. Because what machines are great at is machines are great at detecting patterns in positive signals and negative signals and replicating those patterns. That's fundamentally what machine learning is about. But if the data coming in is not accurate or not true north, then the data coming out won't be good. And that's where I think like if publishers are saying, oh, we're hearing that the brands are getting more nuanced technology, how come our ads are still being blocked? It's because there's not that human component involved in a lot of these tech stacks. And I'm, I, look, I think it's an industry standard. I think publishers should start demanding it, brands should start demanding it. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an important, it's an important 
source of truth that needs to be fed into the to the genes. Yep. So that is super interesting. That's that's what we were talking about about a week ago. And thank you for sharing it with the audience. We're going to press pause on that for one half second. We're going to come back to you. So Jenny, let's talk about uh, the stuff that you have done on behalf of Unilever. Uh, how have you adjusted kind of your go-to-market? And we can look at it in, in general, and we can look at it in the news context, or we can look at it in both. So what are the kinds of things that you've adjusted uh, over the past couple of weeks? I, th I think it's important to talk about both. So first of all, the last couple of weeks we know has not been normal for anybody. And you know, Unilever is a very collaborative organization to begin with, especially with our agency partners. And the level of collaboration that has been required over the last couple of weeks has been even deeper than before, quicker than before. And to be honest, you know, I'm really proud at how easy it is coming. It may not seem easy, but it is coming together because everyone has clear priorities that we're working towards and everyone is trying to band together to get things done as quick as possible. Um, you know, and it ranges from, you know, our leadership all the way to our marketing organization, our, our internal studio, our external creative agencies, our internal um, paid and earned teams and our agency partners in that space as well. You know, and, and it doesn't stop there because we also have to now do even further collaboration in real time with our CD organization and supply chain because we need to understand what is happening with the total system to make sure that we can be as relevant as possible. Mm -hmm. And for Unilever, the key is making sure that we're being of service. We wanna be of service to our consumers, to our customers and to communities. And I think that's shown through with some of the work that you've seen of late, you know, Dove Courage is Beautiful is, is a great example of that. We have other examples that have, um, you know, hand washing messages that we, you know, had a Twitter promoted uh, trend on. Um, we've even had some Hellman's Pantry recipe, you know, how to use what's in your pantry so that things aren't going to waste. So we're trying to be of service in many different ways, um, you know, and it's, and, it, and it's a great position to be in with our brands because our brands are of service in everybody's life on, from a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and then when it comes to the news space, you know, our journey with news didn't just start now. You know, we for for a couple of years now we've been very very close because, you know, it's not as simple as saying yes or no. Like you can't say I am or I'm not going to run in news, right? There are so many more nuances required to that. So, you know, a couple of years ago, we actually put a stop to everything for a little bit of time. We said no news and Mindshare looked at me like I was nuts and I'm like just hear me out though. No news right now until we look at these nuances together and we did a quick sprint two week even less actually with our core mindshare team we had certain leads and we brought in other partners so we brought in you know you know we work with open slate um we also work very closely with double verify and so we brought them into the fold to really layer out what are the various areas of news and if you, if i say no to news there's a lot of lifestyle coverage that i would not be included in and that's important for our brands you know then you start to get the more serious tone of news and you know in that area it gets a little trickier because being really relevant with your message i think is really key for our brands in that space you know and so you know we've done some great work earlier in the year where seventh generation had their climate change message and we did some takeovers around you know the heavier news coverage state of the union um, and then, you know, as of late, we've also been doing some deeper dives like that. So around Courage is Beautiful for Dove, like it made a ton of sense to be in certain places. And, and normally we don't go into sort of the normal daily heavier news coverage, but it made sense to be there because we felt like the tonality matched um, what was happening with the coverage and what consumers wanted to actually hear from advertisers in those spaces. Mm, yeah, that's, uh, we're actually hearing that in a couple of select places. So that's a, that's a great uh Kind of insight that the other thing that make that I think about as you're speaking is kind of the, the juxtaposition of content and messaging 
is something that has never been more important. And, you know, the, the phrase tone deaf was one that we were hearing about, you know, six weeks ago, a month ago. And the immediate knee-jerk reaction for most of marketers was to kind of press pause. We didn't have the appropriate things to be saying. Are you, do you think that we're past that? Do you think that, you know, messaging is something that you've kind of gotten over and then there's a new set of challenges or is that still a problem? Um, I mean, I think it's still tricky because this is all still developing. Like it's, it's not like we're in any recession like we've been before necessarily. And depending on who you talk to, we're either in it already or it's coming or, right, right, right. or it's, it's gonna be one like we've never seen before. So I think it's really difficult to just say like, we figured it out and we can just, you know, let it happen now. Like consumer sentiment is really key and trying to keep on top of what's happening there, but also trying to understand what's happening in the news because the news is also dramatically impacting consumer sentiment as well. So, you know, I, I think that we just are trying to keep as close of an eye on as we can. I, you know, we can't predict everything, but you know, it's going to be interesting too, what's going to happen throughout the U S in different geographies, because some people are starting to open things up and go back. Some people never had certain controls in, in place. So trying to keep an eye on all that as well and figuring out how do we still communicate the best way with the majority of the consumers that we need to be speaking to is it's going to be an we have to keep an eye to it hopefully you know we have things in place that will also um, play this out for us over the next couple of months because we're estimating where we think things are going to go but we have to be flexible and be ready to pivot depending on what happens with consumer sentiment we're going to come back to that in a second because local is an area that I, we've been hearing a lot more of which is it's it's after you think about it, it becomes obvious that the, the market is going to open up kind of geography by geography, and that's going to obviously play uh, an important role. But for either of you, before we get to that, um, some data points that we've heard is that in COVID-related content, uh, while the general belief is that it's mostly around kind of death tolls and negative stuff, actually north of 50%, 50 to 60% or more is neutral to positive. Uh, does that feel right? Do you feel like that's about what you have heard and believe? Either do. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I uh, I believe that just, but I don't have any data to support. So that. Anecdotally, that feels okay. Yeah, I believe that, and it's something. You know, it's so interesting. Like listening to Jenny when she talks, it's like they're a, they're a leadership brand. They they're committed to nuance. What I think is really interesting is that the 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 tech, a lot of the technology providers, there's no downside for false negatives. We never talk about that. The downside, what a false negative is, I deem that this is not brand suitable for the brand, but it actually is. So the only one that loses in that equation, um, well, it's a missed opportunity for the brand, certainly, but the one that really feels the pain is the publisher. Yep. And that's why I feel bad about what's happening with publishers right now, because I just don't think the, it's just been unfortunate that the, like the, 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 it, false negatives are costly. They're costly because then good premium content can't, can't get supported. And you heard Jenny talked and said, look, we want to support premium content. We want to support this as long as we can express our nuances in a meaningful way. And that's where I think it's just a call to arms to all the technology providers. Human trained uh, systems are what's needed in my opinion. Um, we're going to- just to build on what you're saying, I think it's, I mean, we're, we're doing a lot of work as Unilever together with, you know, WFA and a and and there's the GARM initiative, which talks about this. Um, but what I think it also does is like, the onus shouldn't just be on the advertiser and our agency partner and our technology partner to figure this out. Like as publishers, it would be great for publishers to also be raising their hands and find ways to proactively work with the technology companies to either help, help with some general standard classifications and then some additional layers you can put on 
you know, like it's, it just, that's actually would be more helpful to me, to be honest, because otherwise I have to have an army of people, both internally and externally doing both the technology layer and the human layer to it. And if there were more turnkey solutions that could actually come to the table and say, actually, we already have a starting point for you. And then here's where you dial it up or dial it down. That would actually be, I think, of huge help. And, and hopefully, you know, hopefully given the situation that we're in, that would be a willing state for all sides to actually work together and finally collaborate around. It's a great, totally great, 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 totally great, point. great point. And in fact, uh, at the IAB Tech Lab, they are doing a lot of work on standards and floors and taxonomy and classifications. And there is definitely a lot of work with the 4As and the APB. There is definitely some progress that's being made uh, in that space, but it's, I think that's a, uh, that's a good point. Uh, one last thing before we get off of this topic. Um, I don't know, Richard, if we talked a, a lot about kind of the, the distinctions between video and display or kind of what's the, what are the nuances of, uh, or the different kind of characteristics of understanding what's happening in the video space versus uh, well, display space? Just the fundamentals are there's a lot less language with video. So you have a title description, you have tags. There's a lot more uh, language on a web page for display. And I think that's why you know, like everybody's like, oh, keyword blocking is terrible, horrible. Well, for many years it was okay, right? Because why would COVID be on sports content or why would they be talking about the NFL draft and illness? You know, like it, it, it made sense. In this more complicated world- but Now it's everywhere, right. Now, and, and exactly. And I think what it did is it exposed the problem with yeah, fundamentally a blunt instrument. With, with video, it's just- far more challenging because there are less words. And that's ultimately why we focus on having human supervised um, data because you kind of needed people to watch videos, right? I mean, actually, technically Google discovered that eventually after they had, you know, you don't see extremist content on, on YouTube anymore because they employed 10,000 people to look at videos to inform their algorithms to make sure that extremist content didn't make it on the platform. And um, that's the fundamental difference is the sparsity of language and video and, and, and you have more language with banner and display. But because of this conflated world, I mean, you know, Trump is on a lot of blacklists and it's like Trump, not gonna get into political discussion here, but he makes his way into a lot of discussions that aren't about politics, right? He just inserts himself. And I don't know if that's gonna change in the kind of culture that we have, the global culture that we have in the world anymore. So it just means more yeah. nuanced solutions. But, yeah. but the video space, which is important, we have to crack that space. There is way too much money that lives in the video space for not for us to not have solutions. Yeah. Um, and, and I do think there are solutions that are out there that are good. They may not be perfect, but they're not being used as widespread as they need to be. And also let's keep in mind, COVID is not the first time we've run into this challenge with keywords, right? Like, unfortunately, with all the school shootings that had gone on, what we right. started to find was we had basketball content for our male brands that were being blocked because of the word shooting or, or things like that in there too. So I think uh -huh. the scale that we're seeing this on is just much greater. And it's like, now is our time to wake up as an industry and really work together to, to drive a solution. Amen. And the nuance is, uh, it's, it's the word that keeps on coming into my head. It's, it's just not simple. It's not broad stroke. It's all kind of nuanced. Let's change topics uh, slightly. We've got a couple minutes left and I have a couple more things I want to chat about. So there is no doubt that the pandemic will have some lasting impacts on our business. There are some obvious ones, 
travel, events, all that kind of stuff will probably be forever changed. What are some other, either of you, um, things that you'll, you think will be kind of lasting changes to the business uh, as a result of COVID-19? Uh, I think it's uh, the word, the two words I come up with, I think it's just accelerating disruption. I think we're going to see it, it. You're seeing it already in education, the way our kids learn, the way university students learn, the way we consume content, right? So everybody's talking about like everybody's on Netflix and Tiger King and da, da, da. it's accelerating. It's, it's kind of like we knew the world was going there. I think, you know, we knew, by the way, you know, I think people would say like, what do you think work looks like in 20 years? Well, maybe we won't go into the office every day. I just think it accelerated everything, right? In terms of the disruption, the, in, the, the, the activities or the events that were basically going to get disrupted anyway. Um, it just accelerated that whole process. Yep. Yep. Definitely agree. Jenny, anything to add? I mean, I would just add that I think the, you know, with clear prioritization, the power of collaboration is um, amazing and can be quicker than it ever was before. Um, so I think that's key. And I also think that the travel piece is important, not just from traveling to like conferences and client meetings and things like that, but more importantly, there are a lot of people in the tri-state area that work in Manhattan and have, you know, an hour and a half to two plus hour commutes. And when you think of the wear and tear on your life, your, you know, your family life, and then how less productive you are when you finally do make it to the office and you finally get started, and then you got to get your commute home, et cetera. Like, I really think this, you know, you know, working from other locations um, is going to also be something that really takes off because clearly we've proven that work can actually get done. And, and to be honest, you probably would argue right now, more work is actually getting done now than ever, probably. I think you're probably right. That's awesome. So last thing, and I've uh, given you the heads up that we're going to do a lightning round. It's my favorite. So you have to indulge me. Now, I have to be honest that on IAB there, we haven't done it with two people. So this is going to be, we're breaking some new ground. Okay. So I am going to say a series of words. I will start with Jenny, then go to Rich, Jenny, then Rich, Jenny, then Rich. Now, if we could do it quickly, that would be nice. I think that would be enjoyable. Now, uh, and then you're going to say the first thing that pops into your head. Okay, ready? First one, Jenny, 5G. Network. Rich? The future. Artificial intelligence, Jenny. Healthcare. Human supervision. Upfronts. Calendar year. Disrupted. Attribution. Needs to be fixed. Challenging. Yeah. Addressability. Data. I don't know. I'm going to say lacking. I don't know, but that's not my area. <laughs> Blockchain. Infancy. Hype. Podcasts. The Daily. Productive. Zoom meetings. Fun backgrounds. I'm going to say awkward. Is that saying something about me? <laughs> Privacy. Alphabet soup. Critical. OTT. Potential. I think I said the future already, but I'm going to say the future. Okay. Esports. <laughs> I think of scholarships. <laughs> okay. I say inclusive. Every kid can play esports. And then the final one is CES. Vegas. <laughs> okay. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? You know what? You guys did pretty good. That was nice. That was enjoyable. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Hope everyone else enjoyed it. Uh, that's all that we have for today. I want to thank Jenny and Rich for coming on. This has been a great conversation. It's not a 
simple topic. It's not an easy topic. We need to continue to educate ourselves. We need to continue to push the industry forward. Nuance is the word that I take away. Have a great weekend. Thank you both for coming. Thanks and I'll for having you guys us. Soon. Okay, cool. Bye. Thanks, David. Bye. Bye. See you, Jenny. Bye. Okay, on next Monday's IAB There, we are excited to welcome Terry Kawaja, founder and CEO of Luma Partners, who will be talking about surveying the industry landscape. IAB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, and Tofika Mohinadin. I'm David Cohen, and thank you for watching. If you're interested in viewing this or any of the previous IAB There videos, please visit iab.com forward slash videos forward slash IAB dash there. Come back next week because if it's 2 p.m. Eastern on a weekday, you know it's time to IAB There. Have a great weekend, everyone. See you soon.